Welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. This podcast explores what it means to make life less difficult for each other and for ourselves. We share stories of struggles and successes because we believe sharing our stories eases the difficulty of life. I'm Lisa Tilstra, your host. Let's jump into today's conversation. My guest today is Becky Tibbetts. Becky is a professional certified coach with a passion for mental fitness, which leads to 10x productivity, joy-filled connected relationships, and overall life satisfaction. She helps professionals avoid energy drains that can lead to burnout. She helps them create time and financial freedom, and also to experience more joy in life. Becky's clients say she is the spark that helped them step into their inner superpower to experience true freedom and lasting joy. Becky takes a stand for women's empowerment and freedom and supports organizations that combat sex trafficking locally and globally. Becky lives in Oregon with her husband and a blended family of six children. In her free time, she loves to read and listen to music. As a family, they enjoy trailer camping, floating in the river, vacationing at the beach, and snowmobiling. In our conversation today, Becky shares pieces of her journey, realizing that she wanted a life different than the one she grew up in, maneuvering through challenging relationships, making decisions that were best for her despite the potential judgment of others, and also finding that deep sense of joy inside of herself and learning how to keep it present. Some of the themes we discuss include the importance of boundaries, as well as the courage it takes to identify and set boundaries. We also talk about mental fitness, which is Becky's passion, and she shares what that means, how she herself keeps mentally fit, and how she helps others develop their mental fitness. Becky, thank you so much for sharing these pieces of your story, for the glimpses into the hard work that you have done to develop yourself and your relationships, and thank you for the wisdom you share throughout our conversation and in your everyday work. You can find links to learn more about Becky and how to connect with her in the show notes. Becky, welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am excited too. We first met, I believe it was mid, early to mid-November, and Mm -hmm. we got this scheduled fairly soon after that. So it's been on my calendar and I've been kind of looking at it like, when are Becky and I talking? And it feels very special too, because I've taken a bit of a break of recording podcasts over the holiday season. And so I'm just kind of restarting these conversations and recordings this week. So it feels very special and I'm excited to be talking to you in the new year. Yes, I was anticipating it too. Ever since we talked the first time, I was like, oh, we could be a best of friends. (laughs) So I am just so excited to see where our conversation goes today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being willing. As As we get started, my first question to all of my guests is around this idea of making life less difficult. The theme of the podcast, the work that I do, which comes from a quote by Marianne Evans, what do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? And I would love to hear, what does that mean to you, Becky? Mm, I actually just loved that. I was like, wow, that is an ingenious, (laughs) an ingenious name for a podcast. I absolutely love that. But for me, it resonates so deeply because I've always been a resource and referral person. So Mm -hmm. if something worked for me, you're going to know about it over the holiday season as uh, I did like 12 days of Christmas. And I was like, these are my favorite things because other people can get so much value from it. So it's like my favorite planner and my favorite essential oils or cleaning products, because I do whole life coaching. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just one area that I am specific about. I'm really passionate about mental health and mental fitness, but then we also talk about relationships and health and wellness and how do we get the results that we're wanting? And then we dive into neuroscience. And so for me, I was like, yes, let's make life less difficult. Like you don't have to go and research it. Let's just share ideas. It kind Mm -hmm. of is along the same lines as I was like, no sense in reinventing the wheel. If somebody 
can do it better and faster and easier. Yeah. Let them do it better, faster, and easier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that too. And I have, I have benefited from others like you who are, I love the term resource and referral people, mm -hmm. because I don't always have time to do the research or I don't always have, I don't know, the, the time or the capacity to try out different things. It's so to hear from somebody, especially somebody that I know and trust. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'll try that. And yeah, have, have had many positive things added to my life through people like you. Yes. We need more people mm. making people's lives less difficult. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Becky, I'm going to, I'm going to toss out another question and we'll just kind of see what it brings up for you and where we kind of jump into some pieces of your story and journey. And my question for you is, as you reflect back on your life and you think about a moment, maybe early, early and earlier in your life where you looked around and you thought, oh, wow, life is hard, harder than I thought it was mm -hmm. going to be. What mm -hmm. comes up for you? I was at home. I probably was a teenager. I don't remember exactly what grade. I think probably seventh grade. And I remember standing by the pantry. And for some reason, my parents weren't home <laughs> at the time. And I just remember having this thought that life has got to get better than this. Mm. And to put some context around it, you know, middle school, high school years are difficult, but there was a lot of dysfunction happening. And in that season in my life, it was all about achievement. It was mm. all about doing the next thing, you know, getting the good grades, staying within the lines, being obedient, doing, you know, doing those things that were required of me. And that was pretty much the theme throughout my whole high school journey. Mm. And I just remember there being this kind of emptiness of purpose and just kind of, geez, what would I say? A longing, I guess, for more. Mm. But also at the same time, people would look at me and they would say, she's got it all together. So mm. by my senior year in high school, I was cheerleader of the captain. I had previously been on the dance team, became cheerleader captain. I was a volunteer firefighter before I graduated from high school. Wow. I just thrived. I had a job. I, I got really great grades or reasonable grades. I mean, I wasn't valedictorian, but I, but I was doing well and balancing yeah. a lot of things. And that was really from my hyperachiever, just pushing me to really feel that acceptance that I was looking for. I wanted to be accepted and I wanted to belong, which is so interesting because my desire to belong made me not belong anywhere. Like I was attached to people on the cheer wow. team, but I was attached. Like I didn't, it would kind of, I, I guess actually what it did is it drove me to a sense of wanting everyone included. So I was friends with the stoner kids and I was friends with, and so at lunch, you'd see me be able to bounce around everywhere and be kind of included everywhere and in that sense of belonging for me. So before diversity and inclusion was a thing, <laughs> like I just went out and created that. And I didn't look at myself years later. I talked to somebody that I graduated with and he was like, oh, you were the popular girl. And I was like, I did not feel popular or set apart or amazing at all. That Those were not words that I felt. I might've held positions and, but yeah, there's just a real sense of like, man, I don't know where I fit. And then to get out of high school and then realize, wow, now what do I do? Hmm. Like those accolades and those achievements aren't as easy to get outside in the real world. And that ended up spiraling for me not long after high school. So I'm going to date myself. So everybody knows my age now. Graduated <laughs> in 94. And then in, I think it was November of 96, I attempted suicide. Wow. 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 And that was my rock bottom moment where it became apparent to everyone else in the world. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> she's got it all together. 
but I had went through a series of transitions, moved from the west side of the of the state to the east side of the state, and really didn't know anybody. Had some family, was reconnecting there, but I really was struggling with finding my way as a young adult. Here I am, almost twenty, <laughs> and you know, as a nineteen year old kid, and I had no idea that I had my whole life before me. And I look back on it now. And so I have a real heart for people that are struggling in those ways because you can look like you have it all together. And we've seen it from other suicide, successful suicides that it's just like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know their struggle that they were having. So I love the quote and I'll paraphrase it because I don't even know what it is, who it's by, but it talks about not knowing the other person's struggles. So be kind. Yes. (laughs) Right. Yes. Be, be curious because even though they look like they might have it all together on the outside, that might just be, they've learned that growing up. Yes. There's, and, and I'll have to look up the quote too, because I'm familiar with the one you're talking about, but it, that mm-hmm. kind of idea of treat everyone you meet as if they're hurting because yes. really, I mean, yeah, we all are for different reasons mm-hmm. and at different levels. Thank you so much for sharing these, these pieces, Becky. And what I'd love, if you're willing to share a little bit more, my heart goes out right to the, there's, I, there's so many people that pop into my mind, right? Where from the external perspective, everything looks amazing. Mm-hmm. And yet when, when, I mean, there's a number of people that I think like, as I've gotten to know, and you get below the surface, it's like, oh, wow. You know, mm-hmm. I might be really struggling with something. And I think, oh, that person wouldn't relate at all to my struggle because they've got everything mm-hmm. all figured out. And then I start to talk to them and I realize, oh, they don't have everything all figured out. And what, what do you think it is? Is it just mm-hmm. a human tendency? Is it a cultural desire to kind of externally look a certain way, but then also have this other a completely different internal journey. What do you think that is? Well, I think part of it is not knowing how to express it and be vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. So if you had somebody that you could go to that was really deeply curious, and I feel like we are having a shift, right? In leadership, as Brene Brown put out, Dare to Lead, and we're starting to talk about vulnerability in the workplace, (laughs) It's like, hello, that's a huge transition. And so things are becoming, people are becoming more aware, or we've got the Shurzad Shermeans of the world that are putting words to positive intelligence, which are Mm -hmm. basically digging deeper into that emotional intelligence, creating this and really kind of deep, like digging really deep Mm -hmm. into more of emotional and psychological awareness. Like until I started doing PQ work, I didn't know I was the hyperachiever. Like I didn't know that was my saboteur that would hang me up every time. Mm. Right. And so starting to really give voice to that and people just being available and vulnerable. So I, I don't know if you felt like this when you were growing up, but I just always felt like nobody ever talked about the bad stuff, only talk about the good stuff. And, and so it kind of gave this facade of like, they've, everybody's got it together except for me, because I don't, I don't have all those great things. Like they might have some great things that I don't have going on, going on in their life. Yeah. And how putting that up and not being vulnerable and saying, Hey, I have all of these really great things. Right. So I can give you my highlight reel for 2022, but really most of the time I felt like it was a struggle. Mm. I feel like I was leaning into learning some new things and learning new things are hard. Yeah. Right. And just being kind of real about it. Whereas sometimes that even is balanced weird because of course we want to celebrate. And of course we want to really dig into and accentuate those positive things. But at the same time, when I'm having a conversation, when I'm sitting across the table from you and we're having a cup of coffee, I want to be real. Yeah. So I might not shout it from the rooftops on every social media post because people get all crazy about that too. Like there's over vulnerable and you sound like a whiner to, you know what, this is a right setting 
to really tell me about you, tell me about your story and really being open to that. So there's been shifts culturally and leadership wise to really move towards knowing the whole person, Mm. not just the person performing whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And really it's a performance, right? We're putting on this facade mm-hmm. and, and I just kind of grew up like that, you know, mm-hmm. put up, a, put on a happy face. Yes. Oh, you're seen and not heard though. Those were stories of our childhood in my age that that was a thing. <laughs> yes. And now we're like, okay, tell me about your feelings. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? Let's talk through that. And there's just a different approach to it mm-hmm. that that has been cultivated culturally and ship wise. And then also in leadership realms that we're just seeing that huge shift to like, let's go to empathy. Let's lead Mm -hmm. with empathy and curiosity. Mm -hmm. And if we got more curious about people and especially the quiet people or even the successful people, you know, tell me what about what's not going well. Yeah. And that's what I love about coaching because I can ask that question to all my clients. I'm like, well, tell me what's not going well. And it's okay because this is a safe container, but being those kind of people that people can approach and know that they're going to be safe Mm. to just say, Hey, you know what? (laughs) I need a counselor. My marriage is failing. Mm -hmm. And you'd be like, Oh yeah, there's tough seasons in marriage like that. Mm -hmm. Here's some people that I'd recommend or here. Usually what I do for counselors is I usually say, here's like some training that I recommend. Like I really love Gottman Institute. So mm-hmm. of course I want to encourage, especially in relationship, Gottman trained counselors and coaches, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. There's so much wisdom there. And I also resonate deeply from a personal place. I also graduated from high school in 1994 and, <laughs> and, and grew up in that environment where you just pretend everything's okay. And I remember specifically in my family growing up, the mornings that we were all getting up and going to church, it was chaos in my family. And when I was little, there were four of us kids and the two parents and one bathroom. And it was just, it was always chaos and everybody getting stressed out. They got in the car and then you drive to the church with all of the tension and the emotional <laughs> strife. And then you open the door at church and it was automatic smile. Like, hi, how are you? Oh, so good to see you. Yes, everything. And my family was known as like just this perfect family. And the kids are always so happy and well-behaved. And it's like, oh, I mean, it's been a... <laughs> been a journey. And I think where that takes me is as you're talking about vulnerability and being real and learning to express the whole Mm -hmm. spectrum of emotions and not just a kind of facade of happiness. Mm -hmm. I think about it as a a whole set of skills that I've had to actively develop Mm -hmm. in my adult life. Yes. Yeah. The growth mindset is totally us from our generation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just because we had to learn so much. I don't know about you, but I just felt really ill-equipped for life. I'm like, why didn't anybody teach me this? How do I, and some of it is because the science hadn't caught up. So, you know, you don't know what you don't know and, and we can understand and really have some compassion and empathy for our parents because they didn't know and they were busy trying to make a living and, you know, it's hecticness. I giggle about the, about the church thing, because that is so true. (laughs) It is so true. I mean, even with my own kids dragging them to school, everybody's, you know, to church and then it's like, everybody's crying and then I'm like, hi, and I'm happy to see all of my other people. Right. so funny but at the same time yeah there is a a level of realness and I actually experienced that the first time in small group in church so Mm -hmm. there's the good bad and the ugly of church right Mm -hmm. Uh, and I I I strongly believe that church is necessary and it's a it's a big part of my life Mm -hmm. but I've had ups and downs with the church too it is a whole nother relationship. Yes. And, but in a church that I dearly loved for years and years and years, it was in small group community that I really experienced that vulnerability mm-hmm. where they really wanted to hear my story. 
Mm. And like, they set aside time and it was so scary. Like when I first started being blown and roll, I was like, oh, I'm going to break down and be a mess. And I just can't even function. And I don't even know what to tell you. What do you want to know? I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. I'm a mess. <laughs> I'm so bad. And you're trying to figure it out, right? Yes. <laughs> but that was my first experience in really seeing the power of testimony mm. and where you've come from, because I could relate to those women so much more. I was like, oh, you know what? I might not even struggle with the same things in parenting that you do, but I totally get it. Like I've had that same feeling before. Yeah. I felt not enough. To, I'm not up to the task, exhausted, all of the things. And when you share those, there, there's a bonding that happens in community that is just yes. so amazing. And just really being able to sit with that. And so, yeah, that was probably one of my greatest memories of small group mm. for the first time of really being in community. And then mm. I left a community that I love. And those are hard transitions. Like 17 years here and now I'm in a whole new community and I'm an outsider again. Mm. And it is so hard, so yeah. hard when everything in you just aches to be with like-minded people who just know your story and adore you yeah. <laughs> and you them. It's that's just such a powerful place. And so yeah. creating safe spaces for that is what I love doing mm. uh, in the work. And that's, it's such a powerful story that you share of the, your experience in the small group and the invitation to be vulnerable and be held in community. And mm -hmm. one of the things that it brings up for me that it links back to what you were sharing a few minutes ago about, you know, finding that balance because there's the people that are always kind of like putting it all out there on all of the social media posts. And you're kind of like, whoa, like I can only take so much, right? And, and yet also like appreciative of the vulnerability and it, it, it can be tricky. But one of the things that it brings up for me is this idea of boundaries. And you and I talked before we started recording about boundaries in marriages and things like that. And so I'd love to get into that piece of your story. But the, the thing that comes up for me when thinking about the small group story is that something I feel like I've had to learn over time is finding the right spaces, the right people to really open up my heart and then also realize it's okay to not totally open up my heart in these other areas. And, and I think there's something there with boundaries. Does that make sense? Yes. Brene Brown says that not everybody has earned the right to hear your story. Mm. And so realizing that there's something about those people that you feel like you've cultivated enough time with them, that they've basically earned the right to be able to hear your full story. Mm. I have, I, there's parts of my story that I'm not comfortable sharing with people. And yeah. I just don't like, I don't go on podcasts and share my whole story. Right. Yeah. But if I'm in an intimate conversation with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, that might be the time to share that and say, you know what? Mm -hmm. I actually do know what that feels like. Like I don't go broadcast this off yeah. of the mountaintops. And then the boundaries, that is so important. Oh my goodness. Boundaries. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Cloud and Townsend, and I paraphrase everything, but in their book, Boundaries, they talk about the boundaries is to keep the good stuff in and the bad stuff out. And so mm. looking at it like a fence that you put mm. around your home. And there's times, and you know, when it's time to make a boundary, A, I'm on this cycle of frustration, like every time. Okay, so what do we need to do differently here? And understanding, I think one of the biggest things that I took away from their book was that understanding that if you do nothing, the cycle continues, mm. right? So, so you, even in parenting, I use this a lot. It's like, and it's become a mantra of sorts and a core belief for me. So responsibility is huge, core value for me. Mm. And so it's my response is my responsibility. So I'm constantly asking myself, what's my responsibility in this situation? Mm right? What do I need to help be a peacemaker in this situation? Or where am I, where am I avoiding the conflict mm. to keep the peace? Mm. And that's where cycles start every time. <laughs> and so say more um, about that, because I think that is yeah. so important. Yeah. Because if we're avoiding tough conversations, 
and not putting up boundaries to say, you know what, that's not happening anymore. Or it, and just kind of avoiding it, hoping that it's going to go away. It's like, it would be easy. And I fell into this trap for a number of years, but I'm better about it now of really asking myself, what is my responsibility? Because I was like, oh, that's their problem, not my problem. Right. And it's so easy to push it off to the side. But as I dug deeper in the work of leadership training, dare to lead is a huge impact on me. But also one of the things that she says is like, you're you're willing to give good feedback if you're willing to sit next to somebody. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm asking myself, how, what is my responsibility in this situation? I'm still trying to snuggle up close to them. It's not, I'm going to put this on you and push it across the table. Trust me, I'm really good at that. (laughs) But I try not to do that anymore. It's like, no, how do we fix this? And what something new can we bring in Mm -hmm. to help in this situation? Sometimes it can be a third party that just comes in and people communicate differently. And so somebody that communicates a little bit differently can probably be saying the same thing, but have a completely different outcome. And that person hears it differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, that's what I've been saying the whole time. Oh, you know, and you guys weren't even that far off. You were right next to each other. So really mm-hmm. getting used to putting and putting the boundaries around yourself to put the issue out in front of us. It's mm-hmm. not the human. Like they're not flawed and they're not a terrible person and they're not all of this stuff, but there is this issue that we need to deal with and how do we deal with it and what's my part to own and what's their part to own. Mm. And if we can't come to an agreement, then, then where do we go from here? Yeah. And making those tough decisions. And I alluded to that during our pre-conversation. For me, that was within my marriage. There were some cycles that kept going on and I avoided for a long time. Mm-hmm. until I felt like it was just a Holy Spirit moment where I felt like your silence is like a broken down wall. Mm-hmm. And immediately something in me clicked. Oh, my fence is down. Mm-hmm. When I don't have that boundary, my fence is down. So I'm not protected. All sorts of stuff can run in and out of my yard. Yeah, And it's wreaking havoc on a relationship. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why I was a voider and I was quiet about it. There were some limiting beliefs that I had from a spiritual aspect of like, love covers a multitude of sin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I just keep covering it, right? Yeah. And you know, <laughs> no, that's completely out of t- context there. And really knowing that, no, you need to confront things that are not okay and stand up for that and not avoid it. So it's really yeah. leaning in being vulnerable, having the tough conversations. And ultimately I ended up going through divorce and in the church, that's not socially acceptable. I mean, that's not a pathway. And so that took a while to really feel like, mm, yeah, like there isn't a stigma. I know that there is with some people, but people that know me, know my story, it hasn't been as much. And so okay, in those situations, that's what boundaries have to look like. And sometimes, yeah, relationships can't go on. I I think there's a couple other books, but I'm I'm spacing on them. But basically knowing when to let go. Lisa Turkhurst is is doing a bunch of boundary books now too, Mm -hmm. that I just love how when you go through something that you redeem it by writing a book and, and sharing what you've learned with others. (laughs) And I think that's what we're talking about here today. It's just like, I haven't had it like a book laid on my heart. I've had a whole bunch of ideas, but I haven't had a book laid on my heart of like, Oh, this is how I'd capture it and how I'd make an impact for people. But I do so admire people that have went through really tough situations that write books. And then you get to hear about their story because they've impacted my life. One of the books that I read, that was a turning point for me of Mm. like, Oh, like it gives you the affirmation and almost you're borrowing strength from somebody else. Talk about making somebody's life less difficult when you borrow their strength because they've been through that. And I've had opportunities to do that with other women who have went through divorces. And Mm -hmm. I actually, you know, people, it's kind of people who've come across my path who know my story will reach out to me randomly Mm -hmm. and be like, okay, now I'm here. And I don't even know what to do. And I know the overwhelm and the feeling of the rug just pulled out from under you and what kind of support. 
but you don't know until you've been there. And so I've been on the other side of that where I was like, I was thinking, oh, I'm really supporting this person. And and when I started going through my divorce, I had to go to her and I was like, I'm so sorry. Mm. I did not know what you needed Mm. back then. Mm. But now that I'm in the middle of it, oh boy, howdy, do I know. Mm. And so it gives me twofold empathy, one for other women going through divorce because I've been there, but also for those women who've never went through divorce, never experienced that kind of trauma Mm. it's okay that they don't know what to do it's Mm. okay they're gonna get it wrong they're gonna yeah yeah so there's a lot of grace there because I received that grace she's like oh it's okay and I was like no it's not okay Mm. like if I had only known like now that I'm experiencing it and so I think that's why every time my heart just oh my heart sinks and then just completely goes out to these women who have tried everything and now they're going through divorce and it's over years and years of time of trying and trying that then finally it's like, now we're here and I didn't want to get here. And uh, yeah. And still the grief that goes along with that. Right. Cause other people's marriages are restored and other people's marriages seem to work out. Why didn't, why didn't mine? Yeah. There's so, there's so much. And I have, a million different questions, Becky. So I'm going to try to choose one to start with. There's what you're just saying in these last few moments about recognizing times that you said something that you look back on and you're like, Oh, sorry. Now that I'm going through this, I get that. Wow. That wasn't helpful. There's, I think here's where and you were mentioning people who write their books and their stories. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is so much in line with the passion of why I do this podcast. So, Mm -hmm. so we can connect to each other through our stories. So we can learn about each other and others in our lives through our stories. And I know I have had people reach out to me asking, what do I say when someone's lost someone, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so in going through losing my first husband, I had all sorts of people say things that were so unhelpful and, And, and I've tried to graciously share some of those things. Like when, when you want to say this, please don't just, just be quiet, just be present, a hug, a hand on the shoulder, right? Like, but I've had people say like, well, well, what can I say? And I, and and it brings me to your story of saying, you know, like, and, and sharing, you know, what, what are the things that I can say if I haven't been through divorce or loss or whatever it is, what can I say? How can I be present? Which I'm going to tie it into this question of what and or who helped make this time in your life less difficult. Mm, Yes. Well, I had amazing mentors. And so when you're going through divorce, realize that their lives are upended and mentors and support and friends who a would just be there. Like I could pick up the phone and they were there. I, there's a lot of venting that happens and FYI, that's not bitterness. That's just a lot of emotion flowing, right? (laughs) If you're in the midst of it, it's okay to feel overwhelmed and not know what to do. Cause I remember Mm. feeling like, oh my gosh, I can't even make a decision right Mm. now. I am so I was so, there's the fight, flight, and freeze. I was so frozen mm-hmm. in in the situation, even though I had made the decision to move forward. It was scary. It was unknown. It was a lot of unknowns. And I, so helping them to just be like, you're safe. Mm-hmm. We're here for you. I had people provide meals. I had people provide money for things that I now didn't have. I was a single mom of three kids mm-hmm. and now I had a mortgage <laughs> and I worked part-time and I was going to coaching school. Wow. And I couldn't get my money back from coaching school. I'm like, well, this is the best time as any. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, there's so many unknowns and there's so many paranoias about you know, what should I do and how am I going to get a job and, and how is this all going to work out? But I think for the most part, it was people being there. I remember one traumatic event where I ended up just sleeping on one of my best friend's floors Mm. (laughs) and it just makes me tear up because it was so traumatic. And I'm sure there's other parents like me out there. I was a stay at home mom. 
I had three kids. I had been home since my second one was born mm-hmm. to now go to 50, 50 parenting as a parent is just, yeah, un, unfathomable. Yeah. It, it's, it's yeah. got riching. And I remember thinking now I have even less than what I had left with my mm-hmm. children, but also being a hundred percent confident that they needed to see a different way of life before mm. it ruined them. Mm. And so I was willing to make those sacrifices, but it came with a lot of tears mm. and a lot of times friends just being available to, I mean, they didn't know what to say and their marriages were thriving, but they opened my home and in, invited me in and made me feel at least covered and protected. My best friend's husband was very protective of me. Mm-hmm. And so we would have instances where we were all going to have to be in the same place and he would be there and he would stand right next to me. Wow. And so when you feel like you lose half of yourself going through a situation like this, having those kind of people there, there's yeah. not much you can say. You can't take the pain away, but you can be present and you can be just a place for them to cry. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how to put it because any input that you give might or might not be helpful, but helping, helping to ground them and giving them a place to just vent. And it's completely non-judgmental because some of the yucky stuff that comes out is not very like, oh, I know that's not very godly, (laughs) but can I be real with you right now? I'm really angry. I'm really hurting. And to have people in your life that get it and say, you know what, you can be a safe place and you can vent as long as you need to. And now I'm not talking about people that enable people to vent for like 10 years, like, but when you are in the midst of the process, like I would have never wanted somebody to just allow me to stay there. But at the same time, it's like, when you're in the midst of the process, give them a couple of years. Yeah, their whole life has been upended. Give them a couple of years to process through the situation before you start pushing them forward, because I think we get uncomfortable and we want resolution. And me too, I'm like, oh yeah, let's make beauty from ashes. Who doesn't want to skip forward to the good part? Mm. But you can't do that in life. That's not, that's not reality. You have to feel the feelings. You have to go with the waves. And um, I haven't experienced grief. And I think it, it is a grief where we would probably relate, but there is a sense of grief. Life isn't what I expected and hoped. And there's a lot of shattered dreams in that. Absolutely. And so in essence, they're dealing with grief along with all the finances or or all the other fallout, like finances and parenting and all of this stuff that goes into it. So yeah, I would say those, those are probably my, my top things Mm. be available. Tell them that you can call them anytime. I remember going over to my best friend's house. And their kids grew up with our kids. Like they didn't even know that I wasn't their aunt until we got divorced. And then they're telling them and they're like, oh my gosh, you're not my aunt. And their two girls were like, you are our favorite fake aunt. (laughs) Going over there on Sunday evenings. And I was like, can I just come over? And they were like, yes, absolutely. And I remember grabbing onto their youngest and I would fall. (laughs) Because I was missing my own kids. It had been a transition night and it was really hard to be home alone. Yeah. Really hard. Yeah. No, Becky, I just, I resonate so deeply with the stories that you're sharing. And as you're sharing and describing even your friend's husband who would be present with you at different events or things like that, I different people are popping into my mind of, you know, going through the loss of my husband. And it's so similar, right? It's, it is often just that presence, the availability Mm -hmm. of someone and the acknowledgement. And I know I, I do this often where I just say, I have no idea what to say. And I, there, there really are no words to offer Mm -hmm. right now, but I want you to know I'm here. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. And whatever I can do. Right. And it is, it's such a powerful gift and bringing it back to this theme and why I'm so passionate about the idea of making life less difficult is these times in life are really hard 
And there's, there's no magic wand to just wave and make it all easier or make it better in the midst of it. It's just hard and it's really difficult. And when we're there with each other, we can make it just a little less difficult. Mm-hmm. I am, I'm curious to hear if you're willing to share a little bit about how, how it was for you after the divorce, it's time of grief and loss. And at this point in your life, you are remarried and mm-hmm. Whatever comes up for you, whatever seems fitting to share, Becky, I I know that that's a a long journey (laughs) from from a loss of a relationship into a new relationship. And I'm curious a little bit about your your path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I had some years of just really getting to know me. I think a lot of parents realize that you have kids and you get married and then you kind of lose yourself in that. And I just started really enjoying things that I enjoy. Like mm. I used to take walks and go go to sunsets. I loved, I still love to line dance. I don't have many opportunities in our community, but boy, howdy. <laughs> I, love I love it. Awesome. Right. And then I've always been a runner. And so I turned in some friends that were like, oh, hey, we're going to run this half marathon. I was like, oh, that sounds fun. And plus we're doing it all together. And so we had running days and then, you know, it's not like we ran together all the time, but, and then we were going to go to Leavenworth, Washington and it's in the fall and mm. it's gorgeous. And I love fall colors. Like those yes. are my colors. And that's a beautiful, <laughs> that's a beautiful town too. Oh yes. And so you just weave up and down the roads and we're running this half marathon. And, and at the time when I started, I was like, I don't even know if I'll be able to finish. Like I've never done a half marathon. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, now I've done it and I'm like, oh, that was just such an empowering moment. Mm for me personally, taking over my house and signing where it said, Becky, a single woman, Mm. huge for me. That was huge and a really empowering moment. And then I remember taking my first vacation by myself Mm. and having to listen to music and saying my heart out as I'm driving my, still driving a minivan (laughs) as a single person. (laughs) And I'm just driving and I'm driving to the Oregon coast and it's just going to be me. And it's only going to be like four days. But I remember asking myself, well, what am I going to do? Yeah. And I don't have to cook for anybody so I can eat whatever I want. And so it got into town and it just was kind of ruminating about things that I want to do. And I went to Safeway and got some groceries and just fresh fruit and bagels and just easy stuff. And this air, it wasn't an Airbnb, it was, but it was like, um, right on the beach, mm-hmm. kind of a condo that they rented out. And so it was just perfect. And it had like all of the feels for my decor. I don't know if nice. some people are decor people, they'll understand yeah. what I'm saying, but it just all feels just amazing. And I just could read, relax on the beach. I decided to go get a massage mm-hmm. and one of the funniest social media posts that I ever posted in my life is as I was walking up, it said tattooing and piercing. And I was like, oh, should I get the tattoo? Well, here's a little a little tidbit about me. Back in my younger days, I had my belly button pierced. Okay. And so, but everybody took off on the on the rant of of getting a tattoo. And then they put out suggestions. And like one of the gals that I worked with at my church, she put out like a full body tattoo. It was hilarious. <laughs> She's like, no longer need a shirt. And I mean, hilarious stuff. My phone was like just blowing up on social media and people calling and texting me. So here I am trying to like relax into my massage because I'm, there's, I'm not getting a tattoo. It was so funny because I literally had to, are you really going to do it? And what are you going to get? And I was like, you know, I've often thought about getting a tattoo, but I could never decide, but this has been the best social media ever. It's fantastic. And so it was really empowering time for me. After that, I went for a helicopter ride, which was completely outside of my comfort zone. I literally took off and I was thinking, who is this girl? I would not have signed up on this on my own. 
Mm-hmm. And I ended up because I was by there, I was there by myself. I ended up riding in the cockpit and I was joking around with the guy that was the pilot. And, and, and I have this really fun picture of the both of us. He's like, ma'am, I'm trying to fly the plane, but he gave me a little <laughs> smirk laugh. You know, it was so memorable, but I just remember just like, you know what, I'm going to go outside of my comfort zone because here I am all alone. And he's like, so what are you doing down here? Like they see me drive up in my minivan. I don't have any kids piling out. It's just me. I was like, oh, I just went on vacation. He's like, all by yourself. And I was like, yeah, all by myself. And then later I'm thinking, maybe I shouldn't have told him that. Yeah. Like paranoia sets in, like he's going to hunt me down. Yeah. But he was the nicest, nicest pilot. And we just had a really great time. And so there was those healing moments of Mm. really finding myself. Mm, And then in between there, there was interwoven prayers of what my heart desired going forward. Mm. What I wanted to do, I was cultivating my business, raising my children. I really wanted a relationship that my kids saw something different. Mm. And I know this sounds weird, but... (laughs) Maybe other people have experienced it too, but I really had this sense of like, I knew I was going to get remarried. Mm. It wasn't, it wasn't a matter of like, okay, now I'm going to be single the rest of my life. I just really felt like I was going to get married again. And so, yeah. And then fast forward to, you know, I, I worked with some young kids. I was in human resources. So I have a lot of young kids. I love the younger generations, but they were like in their twenties and here I am in my Mm forties and they're like, okay, this is how you date now. They're like, now's the time. And they totally were like getting me all set up. Right. That's awesome. And it was so funny because I was like, online dating. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I did not think I would ever be here in my life, let alone this is how you meet people. And thankfully, I've heard a lot of horror stories, (laughs) but thankfully... I wasn't out there long before I met my husband. And even in that, I I love talking to singles who are doing online dating because we have really funny conversations and we dig into like, okay, here's some boundaries in dating mm-hmm. online. Come on, yes. <laughs> because you have to be safe. And so I had a few little things that were kind of quirky because I didn't put my real name out there and I don't want to call myself out because who knows who's going to be listening <laughs> to this, but there were some things like I was in people development, but I was really in human resources and, and some different things. And I, I tell you this to fast forward to, I'm engaged to my husband. So we met on match mm-hmm. and then he came to my town and he's like, I know I'm out of your parameters of like, you know, you put your miles I didn't even know I put miles I was like whatever and we just hit it off and from there it's all history because we really did ever since then we just really hit it off and then a few months later we introduced our kids and we blended so well it was like a dream I was like man everybody got along so well and we just really I mean we could not I've heard horror stories of blended families (laughs) Mm-hmm. I am from a divorced family myself. And so I just always wanted somebody who would love my children as much as I love them. So I knew I was going to marry somebody who had children, who knew what yes. it was like to be a parent. Mm-hmm. And then to get somebody that truly is invested in your children, it is a huge gift Yeah, and for the kids. My husband is like, yeah, why wouldn't we? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like, mm-hmm. and, and above and beyond. And that's, that's a treasure. You don't find that all the time. Yeah. And I feel the same way about his kids. And so now we're a blended family of six, but most of them are outside of the house now. And we just have the two younger ones in the home. And, um, and then in 2020, we were able to move. And that's what I kind of alluded to in my initial com conversations about leaving community. I was in one community for 25 years in my church community for 17 and then up and moved to my husband's community. And so he is a first responder. And so of course I I was always going to come here mm-hmm. once the kids were out of school, mm-hmm. but that was sped up because of 2020 and just mm-hmm. all the craziness. And so we transitioned here and have been here and we sold our house exactly two years ago in our right. old home. So my kids' home that they meet primarily grew up in and moved here. And then two years later to the day we moved into 
our dream home of, of our little mini ranch. Just for me, it was the promise of wide open spaces and Mm. just a home that felt good. And really, I love having big meals that came from my lovely mother, my ex-mother-in-law, who I called lovingly my outlaws because I love them so much. (laughs) I still love them. We're still in community. They come visit us and we go visit them. And I just, yeah, I adore them. But she taught me how to prepare big meals and enjoy family Mm. and let all the other stuff go. And so we wanted a home that facilitated that. And so it has a big giant kitchen open to the dining room and a view out the back to the property. And so, yeah, so that's your happy ending. (laughs) But in all of that, Yeah. yeah, holding into that, I've learned over the years that there's just messy and beautiful intertwined in every season, but no seasons last forever. Mm. So we get into those times that are just really tough Mm. and and then we move forward and a new season comes and and a newness comes and relief. And it's almost cyclical in itself with the seasons. It's like, oh, now it's fall and we're letting go of some stuff. And in winter, it's kind of struggle and it's cold and we're hunkering down. And then, oh, yay, spring. I love Mm -hmm. spring. Mm -hmm. Everything's blossoming and new and new opportunities and new this. And Mm -hmm. and it just kind of keeps going through the cycle of of the seasons. And so a lot of times when I'm encouraging people, I was like, oh, I know it's really hard right now, but it's, it won't last forever. Yeah. And that's, that's such an important perspective to keep in mind. And I love the I love the changes of seasons. Right now I live in Sri Lanka where there's, I say there's not changes of seasons. And yet for Sri Lankans, I know that they sense the changes in season. It's not Mm -hmm. as clear and defined as the four seasons Mm -hmm. that I grew up with in the Northeast of the United States. But here we have the East monsoon and the West monsoon. And I know like for, for Sri Lankans, they, they, so I don't, I don't want to say there's no seasons here, but for me, it's not as clear and, and prominent. And I, I miss that distinct change in Mm -hmm. my external world, because that really has kind of a lot of influence on me and my internal world. And so Mm -hmm. I resonate with that. And there's a, it's, it's just, it's a beautiful perspective to keep in mind of whatever is happening right now. It's a phase, it's a season. Mm -hmm. And so if it's really hard, keep in mind, this is a phase, this is a season. Who can I invite into my life or reach out to who can make it a little less difficult. And Mm -hmm. also if it's going really well, I've tried to really adopt the mindset. I used to struggle with like, oh no, things are going good. When's, when's everything going to fall apart and brace myself. And what I've really worked on doing is, is having a deep gratitude when things are going well, being Mm -hmm. like, you know what, today I am so grateful and life is beautiful and yep, everything could fall apart tomorrow. Right now, they didn't. It's it's <laughs> it's great, and so just to to hold that, embrace that, and and mm-hmm. it's a phase, it's a season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other piece, Becky, that as it, it weaves into our entire conversation, but you shared a lot about vulnerability, setting boundaries, and the theme that is very prominent through all of the different stories that you told is one of courage and bravery. Mm-hmm. And that it takes courage, it takes being brave to be vulnerable, to start setting boundaries, to even admit to ourselves of, oh, wow, this is unhealthy. This is something I really want to change and and stepping into new experiences. Like it just really strikes me the courage and the bravery in you and in your stories. Thank you. And I would add to that, that people should know that just because you might be stepping out in, in courage and bravery, doesn't mean it's not scary. <laughs> One of my big mantras is I'm doing it scared. I said yes to this, but now I don't even know what I'm doing. Yeah. Those senses and that's vulnerability at its core, just showing up yeah. and really helping you to kind of navigate okay, I can be courageous and brave. That doesn't mean I'm not scared. Absolutely. 
<laughs> that does not mean I'm not scared. You might have a sense that I, I know that this is what I need to do. But I mean, I, I've been studying a lot about business building and entrepreneurs who made it. You know what? They did a lot of scary things. Yeah. That they were hoping were going to work, that they like the tenacity that it took to get them to where they are. And now they're great successes. And people think, oh, you know, you were just lucky. No, <laughs> it took a lot of bravery and courage. And I had to step out and I had to be vulnerable. And I had, and for people in sales, I, I could not do a sales job, but for people in sales that have to say no all the time mm -hmm. and not allow that to go to their core and into their heart, but yeah. shifting from that feeling of rejection into, okay, how do I make, yeah. What is this telling me? Yes. It tells me they, they're just not interested in buying it. It has nothing to do with me personally. <laughs> yes. And so to not be able to not take things like that personal has been huge too. Absolutely. I'm, I'm reading a book that talks about courage and bravery, and there's a number of stories and each person's story, they really emphasize what you just emphasized that fear is present and, mm -hmm. and I'm doing it anyway. Right. Yes. Kind of like fear be damned. I'm going for it. Right. Like, cause, yes. it, cause if I wait for the fear to be gone, I, I don't know for me, and maybe some people have a different experience, but I, I don't know that the fear will ever disappear. It's part of the human journey, the human experience. And sometimes it's a, it's a great protective fear. Um, oftentimes though, it's, it's a fear that is mm -hmm. quote unquote, protecting me from something that I actually don't need to be protected from. Right? Yes, exactly. And it's, it's protecting true. you and keeping you in me mediocrity, right? Yeah. So anytime we do something business related, like you starting your podcast, mm. there's all things that you don't know, but you don't know until you start it. Yeah. And so there's a sense of fear of like failure. But if you have a mindset that failure is just learning <laughs> accelerated. Yes. That'll take you a long way because it's like, oh, yes. then I didn't fail. If you fail, you only fail if you didn't learn something from it. Yes. And I think that's just a powerful quote. Again, I'm not very good at quoting people, but that wasn't <laughs> from me. I've read that somewhere. <laughs> we could probably Google it. But Google yeah, it. <laughs> fear of failure is <laughs> only failure if you didn't learn anything from it. And yeah. so really taking time to reflect and say, okay, what did I learn from this experience? And what would I do differently? Because that's how yeah. we learn and grow. Yes. And otherwise we stay stuck doing the same old things, things yes. that we're not passionate about things that don't, <laughs> I love Simon Sinek and mm -hmm. He's like, what, imagine just, you know, everybody coming to work and feeling fulfilled and being happy about being there. And I'm like, yes, wouldn't that be amazing? Mm -hmm. And, but you don't get there by playing it safe. So true. And I'm not saying that there's not wisdom in your decisions, but there are times when you, it is within your power to act and to do it. And we avoid it because it seems scary because we don't know it's new and it's unknown. And when I work with people around self-awareness and purpose, that's the thing. It's like, oh, this is my unique purpose. And you know what? A mentor can't come and tell me how to do all of this because it has to come from the inside of me. Mm -hmm. And so being willing to like unpack that and say, okay, what is my purpose here? And, and what is my, or some people call it their calling. What is that purpose and calling that is in my heart? And I need somebody to partner with me to help me unearth that and walk it out because my pathway isn't the same as everybody else. Yes. There might be, and I love it when it happens where there's intersections of people that you just relate to. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I, I really feel like those are divine moments where you're like, man, I knew I was supposed to connect with you. Yes. <laughs> and, and so there's other people like to support you on your pathway, but your pathway is going to look different. And I think I've fought against that even in my own life for such a long time. I just yeah. want to fit in. Everybody just tells you to do a job and fit in instead of standing out, telling your stories, doing what you're uniquely passionate and gifted, or maybe it's something that you have developed the giftings around yeah. and now you're stepping into it. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. So, yeah. Becky, this has been such a beautiful opportunity to connect and learn more about your journey. And you alluded 
to it a little bit at the beginning of our conversation and a few different pieces between, but I'd love before we close, if you could share what it is that you do as a coach and what your, your, your focus is and types of clients mm-hmm. that you serve. Yes. Well, I support a broad spectrum of clients, but it's holistic life coaching. Mm-hmm. And so I love the, I'm really passionate about mental fitness and really kind of helping people understand that the mindsets, which include your beliefs and your goals and your values and all of those things mm-hmm. determine how we act. Mm-hmm. And that determines our outcomes. And so I am a super, I'm still the high achiever, <laughs> but in a, in a very holistic and helpful way mm-hmm. of like, I love people to reach their goals and really, and, and helping them navigate mm-hmm. when they're not getting the outcomes that they want. And so really helping people to dive into the cognitive behavioral aspects and the neuroscience of like, hey, we can do this work over here. We'll start with some mental fitness because your mental fitness will then determine your behaviors. And those whatever behaviors are consistent are what is going to determine your results. So I like to use this one of like, you know, people on weight loss journeys because everybody relates, right? I'm not getting the results I want. I'm weighing too much. Okay. Well, then we start looking back at what what are those things? But when I start diving into mindset, I was like, well, how many times have you like kind of given yourself a free day? Mm -hmm. Right. So they give himself a free day and it was a free day upon a free day. So it was one day, not exercising. It's another day. And so then we start seeing the results is because it was not consistent, right? Mm -hmm. We gave ourselves too many outs (laughs) and we didn't stick with the plan. And everybody's guilty of that in one form or the other, right? Yeah. You don't run a half marathon in a day. It takes several months of daily practice. And if people are familiar with the couch to half marathon, that's the plan I used. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a plan, but then you have to dig into what your mind is saying on those days when you don't want to go for the run, but you know, you need to go for the run. True. Yeah. Right. And so there's this split, so to speak speak where we're not living in alignment with what we say we want to do and what we really are actually doing. And so when there's splits, I like to help people live more authentically and aligned and say, okay, how can we get past that? Because sometimes they don't even realize, oh yeah, I guess I did give myself a ton of passes. Right. And so, yeah, I ate the chocolate cake all the time. And you know what? I really don't want to work you know, and that's totally fine. I don't really want to work that hard on my health and wellness goals. But when they realize that your outcomes are are a result of mental health, because I I find all the time, they're like, oh, you're a a mental fitness coach. And they're like, what is that? Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, well, I, I teach leadership development and I do a lot of different things, but my passion is that what you think determines your behavior, determines your outcomes. And if I can help you transform how you think, literally there's a book out there that says transform your thinking, change your thinking, change your life. Mm -hmm. That's really is true. But doing it is a whole different process. You need a partner in that to really kind of sit across from you and really dig into that. And so mental fitness is my niche, so to speak. I have programs that just re-spark everything and help them live in alignment, but it starts with mental fitness. And then we go through a series of steps to really reach their full potential, not just settle, but really like, how do we get these obstacles that you're facing? And what I love about it is that each and every person's different. You know, somebody's working on relationships and how do we use mental fitness to really arm our relationships or our leadership or just our whole life satisfaction? I find that usually life satisfaction is that, that split to life. What you value is not what you're doing every day. And so we're not, they're not intersecting. And so when they don't intersect, then we have this split where we're like dissatisfied with life and it seems so much harder. It's because we haven't done enough of the things that really set us into our passion. And we're over here doing all this other stuff. And so a really good example of this is when I started out in building my business. It's like, oh, I love coaching. I love transforming lives. I love, you know, seeing the impact and and seeing my clients really reach their success goals and all of this. 
And, um, but then when you, when I stepped out of HR and moved into like just doing my business solely, oh my lands, marketing, sales, all this other stuff starts flying at me. I was like, I did not get into coaching to go get a marketing <laughs> degree. Yes. I'm like, I don't even know. I don't even know. Yeah. Right. And so that's when I'm like, oh yeah, let's do strengths. Like I want to have people on my team that are good at that because that's not my strengths. Mm -hmm. My strengths are having these conversations, helping people really dig deep into and really kind of get to the root of what's been holding them back from what they really desire. So yeah, that's a long, <laughs> a long it. description. <laughs> I love it. I feel like we, and, and maybe we should just plan on part two, where we really dig into mental fitness, because I think I love, I love the term and it just brings up a lot of different things for me. And I mean, just very briefly in 2015, I trained for an Ironman and I, it was the first time that I hired a triathlon coach. And I remember in our early conversation, she's like, Lisa, part of this is physical training, but another part of it is mental training. And what you think has a huge impact on how you perform and it has been transformative in my life. And, mm -hmm. and so, yes, let's, let's plan on part yes. two. Let's really dig into yes. the mental fitness and I will include links to your website and social media and anything that you would like in the show notes. So people can reach out to you if they would like to learn more yes. and thank you. Thank you so much, Becky. This has been a beautiful time together. Ugh, thank you so much. It's just been so fun. The time just flew. <laughs> and I would just say to your audience, I would welcome, you know, if you are in those and you're struggling and you want to reach out and something resonated, I would love to just have a conversation. So just reach out whichever way works for you and let's connect. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's conversation and episode of the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. Editing is done by Joseph Burdock. Artwork is by Emma Burdock. I'd be honored if you took a moment to share this with a friend and or leave us a review. Together, I truly believe we can make life less difficult.